Huge weekend of college football, the big name quarterbacks all in action. I've been referring to a big five. Could well be a big four after this weekend. I watched all of them play. Uh, Will Levis and Anthony Richardson in the same game as Florida took on Kentucky. I watched Tyler Van Dyke's game for Miami against Southern Miss. I watched Alabama's game against Texas to see Bryce Young. And I have watched CJ Stroud's performance against Arkansas State. So this is what I saw in those games. Let's start with Richardson against Levis because this was the heavyweight bout. This was the big contest that everybody want to watch. And last week, Anthony Richardson looked fantastic. He looked poised and in control. He was in command of his offense. You know, he was making adjustments to the line. He was getting the running back in the proper protections. He was going through reads. He was making big plays with his legs. He looked every bit like a top five, top 10 pick because he's got the physical traits. We can all see that. But he was also putting together some, some mental processing which made you think, wow, this guy is, is legit. This is why, you know, the league is excited about him. And as I mentioned last week, the league is clearly excited about him because why else would Mel Kuyper be putting a guy who had had one college start before this season in his first round projections? And that's because the league is talking about him. That's the only reason why that could be. In this game, though, he looked like a guy who was making his third college start. I mean, this was a really, really bad performance from Richardson. He was completely non-effective with his legs. Instead of looking composed and in control, he looked jittery. He looked like someone who was nervous and unsure. Every throw was a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. He didn't show any kind of touch. He was just firing things in there and, and hoping that his arm would get him out of trouble. When they needed a bit of inspiration at the end, he, he couldn't do it. I mean, there was there was one really bad fourth down play towards it. It was a fourth and six. And honestly, he was just so rushed. He just sort of peeled out to the right hand side, fired it in there, gave his receiver no chance to make a play. You know, you want to have ice in your veins at a time like that. And he had the opposite, unfortunately. He had one very unfortunate interception where the defensive player just made a fantastic play, got his hand up to block, to block a pass, tip a pass, corralled it in the same motion. It was a tremendous defensive play, so I don't put that on Richardson. It was just unlucky there. But then the pick six later on was just horrendous. You know, he didn't anticipate a squatting corner. He just misread the situation, just threw it straight to the defensive back, who ran it back for an interception for a touchdown. And that was essentially the, the straw that broke the camels back in this game and led Kentucky to win. He did have a couple of moments. I mean, the two-point com conversion... He was patient in the pocket. His initial read wasn't there. Checked it down to the running back who ran it in after yards after the catch. You've got to give him some credit for that. Had a great third and 10 completion to start the second quarter. You know, stuck in the pocket, threw it well with time and anticipation. Had a good throw on the run early in the game, showing off the arm strength, throwing about 40 yards downfield off balance. But those moments were few and far between. And he finished 14 of 35 for passing for 143 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, just four rushing yards from six attempts. And to me, it, it feels like a cold bucket of ice water right over Anthony Richardson's stock. You know, any talk of him being a high draft pick needs to just be part for the time being. I think for the player's sake, more than anything else, I, I just wonder if maybe that got to him. You know, the, the to chatter about how exciting he was against Utah. Has it, has it either gone to his head as the spotlight being shone on him created some extra pressure. I'm not sure, but he looked to me like a guy who's just going to work it out. He's just going to get through his games, 
this season and we've just got to see where he is in 10 games time. Because on that performance, he should not be declaring for the NFL draft. He needs games, it's clear. You know, generally you want quarterbacks to have at least two years starting, if not three. He's the three games. And it was very easy to sort of go, wow, who is this guy last week? He looks very interesting. And we all made the caveats. You know, no one was saying he's a definite top 10 pick now off the back of one game. Everyone was saying what he showed suggested real talent and potential. And now we can say a week later that he needs time because that was a very poor performance. From Will Levis's perspective, he'll be a lot happier. I've seen a few people saying, oh, it was an underwhelming performance from Levis or it wasn't exciting. I, listen, if you are expecting all of these players to be absolutely lights out every single week, it, it ain't going to happen. I mean, that didn't happen for Cam Newton when he was at Auburn in the first few games when he started there. It didn't happen for Robert Griffin III when he won the Heisman. You know, Johnny Manziel, when he won the Heisman, didn't win every game, didn't always play to the absolute max, you know, 400 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I think a dose of reality is needed here as we go through this year. We can just accept that this was a really good win. Kentucky haven't won back-to-back games against Florida since 1976 and 1977. Will Levis arrives in Kentucky and they do it in 2021 and 2022. It wasn't a... A jaw-dropping performance from Levis, but he made the plays he had to make. He avoided mistakes. And all while his offensive line was absolutely horrendous. I mean, the, the fact that the man escaped the game without serious injury is, is a credit to him. In that first half, I mean, if people have watched the game, and many of you will, his right tackle was judo-tossed by a man half his size right into Will Levis as he tried to do quarterback keeper. Then you had his right tackle decide not to block the defensive end off the edge. He was distracted by a linebacker who was threatening to blitz. So he, he moved inside and covered the inside, even though there was the guard there to do it, and just let the defensive end have a free run to Levis. And he hammered him right in the face. His helmet went flying off. Levis had got cuts and bruises all down the side of one of his one side of his face. And then he was hit low, he was hit high. There was a, the, the same right tackle who had an absolute nightmare at, at the start of the second half, actually ended up in his, in his throwing lane on a wide receiver screen of all throws. I mean, that offensive line in pass protection and in the passing game was a, a disaster. And it, it's lucky it didn't cost Kentucky and it lucky it didn't cost Will Levis serious injury. And that has to be a concert because this is back-to-back games now where his offensive line has just been a joke. That said, in fairness to the offensive line, they came out after halftime and ran the ball very, very well. They had 20 rushing yards in the first half. And in the second half, they ran all over Florida. They recommitted to it. I don't know what subtle tweaks they made, but they went from not being able to run the ball at all to running the ball at will. And it meant that Will Levis didn't really have to do anything in the second half. Let's not mistake that with an underwhelming performance. Levis didn't have to do anything because the running game was so good. It's a great example of, you know, to be fair, what Pete Carroll preaches. If the running game is ticking along like this, you can win a game of football. And Will Levis did not have to play hero ball in that second half because the running game was so good. I still thought in the first half, he he played well. You know, he, he, he did a good job. Um, he had this wonderful pass from deep inside his own half to the right sideline. He had to arm it in there. He's very good at that. You know, when there's coverage and there's, there's maybe a, a defensive back who's anticipating he's going to do this and he just arms it in there. And, and drives it into a tight window. He's very good at that. He's got fantastic arm strength. On a touchdown pass, 
play action, finally gets a bit of time in the pocket to let the play develop, spots a 1v1 down the middle of the field, throws it up there, gives the receiver a chance to make a contested catch, he comes down with it. I, I mean, I'm not sure whether he had the ball at the turf or not, but it was, it was, the pass was there to be caught. They call it a catch. The ball travelled 61 yards, 62 yards through the air, and he didn't even, you know, it, it was effortless for him. I mean, he wasn't really putting his arm into that to make that throw. That was easy arm strength. He just sort of loft, lofted it up there. And, I mean, to be fair, it was a Russell Wilson-esque throw down the middle. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of those contested catches that Wilson would do on um, flea flickers, that, you know, earlier in his career that we saw. I think there was one against Atlanta for Jermaine Curse. It, it did remind me a little bit of that. So very, very impressive in terms of physical traits. You know, he didn't have he didn't have much running room, couldn't really make many plays with his legs, but he looked comfortable in the Shanahan-style offense, which is good because it's a pro-style scheme, lots of play action, a lot of motion. Uh, and before half-time, when there was no running game and no pass protection, I thought he played well. And you look, again, you know, if you are expecting these guys to be 400 yards, five touchdowns every single week, what did Will Levis do? He won a big game for Kentucky against a team that had beaten Utah last week and had all of the momentum on the road in a hostile environment with no pass protection and no running game for a half. And when the running game took over in the second half, he didn't really have to do anything. So I think you've got to give him credit for that. Um, his next two games are Youngstown and Northern Illinois, so he's got a chance to get some form going before he plays Ole Miss and South Carolina. So for me, Levis is a first-rounder. At what point in the first round he's going to go, not sure. That will depend on what happens over the next few weeks. But he, since he arrived in Kentucky, he has elevated that team. It's pretty obvious. And he has the physical tools and the talent to be a high pick. On to Tyler Van Dyke. Um, I, people who are regulars on Seal Strap Blog and to this channel will know that I've got a great fear about Mario Cristobal and the offense he's going to run in Miami. And when I watched the Southern Miss game, you know, apart from the fact I was completely bored all of those fears came to the to the forefront because it was such a conservative game plan from Miami. It was painfully conservative. You had got the color commentator um, just sort of pleading with Miami to uh, to open things up. Mark Herslick, who was the uh, the linebacker at Boston College back in the day, who had the illness. I mean, I I could hear him. He was speaking for everybody at home who wanted to see Tyler Van Dyke open things up a little bit. And it was run play, run play, run play. They ran over 40 times. Everything was an extended handoff in the passing game. You know, they never allowed Van Dyke to get into any kind of rhythm. It was just a dour, stodgy performance from the entire Miami team. And in the end, they won handsomely, comfortably, but they made it closer than it needed to be. It was very much like watching Carroll's Seahawks, really, when they play down to opponents. And hard to really judge Van Dyke, but he just didn't look particularly comfortable and I, and I just wonder whether that conservative nature of the game plan is why he was double clutching in the pocket his interception was he just took forever to make a decision he was in the pocket a double clutch a double clutch he went he, he sort of oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it I'm gonna throw it no I'll, I'll delay and then I'm gonna release and you know by that point the defensive back he'd, he'd stared his receiver down the defensive back knew what was coming and anticipated and picked it off it was an awful interception almost had a very similar play again with a double clutch in the red zone late on Threw it just above a an undercutting. I think it was a linebacker who undercut the route in the in the in the end zone. I can't remember whether he tipped it or if he was just it went through his hands or something. So that easily could have been an interception. And, and I say he looked hesitant. Now 
there were some good plays. I mean, he did finish 263 yards, 21 of 30, touchdown and an interception. The touchdown was on a flea flicker, which was an easy play. His offensive line, a bit like Levis, was awful. He was sacked three times in the second quarter alone. There was a series of blown assignments. There was a wave of pressure against him at times. They, they trotted him out, even when the game was won, right at the end for Miami's final drive. And the commentators were going, why is Van Dyke still in the game? And then he promptly got absolutely hammered for a sack because the offensive line couldn't block anything on the day. And then they took him out after the first down, after that first down sack. And he kind of limped off. And you're thinking, one, why was he on the field there? And two, doesn't that just sum up his afternoon? So I think it was a combination of the pressure, the bad pass pro, the conservative nature of the offence just made for a performance that that was just unappetising, really, from Tyler Van Dyke. But we've seen it. You know, when Christopher was in Oregon, Justin Herbert looked pretty crap at times. He, he looked erratic. He, he did not look like the player we see playing for the LA Chargers. And then Herbert's gone to the Chargers and everyone's you know, tipping them to be a, a serious Super Bowl threat for years to come because of the quarterback. And with Van Dyke, I just feel very similarly that he is being constricted by this offence in the way that Herbert was. And that was my fear. You know, uh, just so many uh, extended handoffs to, to receivers in the flat, um, dump-offs, slants. And when Van Dyke was at his best last year, he was throwing downfield. He was, they opened up the offence for him. And he looked very, very good. So I'm not going to overreact to this game. It wasn't a, a good performance. As I mentioned, I think there were some issues there that kind of justify that. He did flash a couple of times, showing off the arm strength. I thought there was a play very early in the game where he manipulated the pocket very well. His footwork for a big guy is very good. So just sidestepped away from pressure, stepped up into the pocket, delivered a pass. Very, very good. Reset nicely and delivered. thought that was very, very good. And that's good for a big man. But overall... Um, you know, not classic Tyler Van Dyke this weekend. On to Bryce Young. This was a toil. You know, Texas played very, very well. On defence, Young struggled, though. Should have had a really ugly interception on a second and six, uh, just at the start of the second quarter. Takes a shotgun snap. Appears to feel the interior rush, which is coming, but it wasn't immediate. It wasn't an Aaron Donald special. Oh, crap, is in my face right off the snap. You know, he had a bit of time. He senses the interior rush. He had about three seconds in the pocket before his hit, but because he knows that hit's coming, he just threw really recklessly over the middle and, and right into the hands of the defender who drops the interception. Not good. Um, <clears throat> you can't make that mistake. Um, it, and for a player who has not got the traits and the tools and whose and who's processing and athleticism is going to be more the thing that, that keeps him as a high pick, you don't want to see him making mistakes like that, especially that, that point in the game, it was 10-10. It was a huge error and he got away with it. He came back on the next play, converted third and six. But again, even then, I wasn't that impressed with the play. It's a slant. He he do, he does show some poise in the pocket, but he throws it two yards short of the, the sticks and the receiver gets it and has to fight across the line to get the first down. So again, that sort of understanding, where do I need to throw here? How do I move the chains? I mean, I can't be too critical of that play because the receiver makes the play in the end and he gets in the football. But again, you know, just let it, just let it run a little further on to make it easier for him. There was throws in behind his receivers. There's a throw on third and three. Uh, with five minutes left in the first half, he throws behind an open receiver, blew a chance to convert. Um, 
he he had a chance on a third and 17 and yet it's third and 17 can be too critical but his receiver uncovered was running straight down the middle and he just overshot him and that was a poor throw he should have taken a safety in with 10 minutes left in the third it was a very confusing play to watch i kind of watched the condensed version of this so i didn't really know what was going on but he stood in his own end zone for five seconds and got hit. You cannot stand in your end zone. I mean, this is a guy who, he's, he's not Anthony Richardson who's played three college games. He's won the Heisman. You cannot stand in your end zone for five seconds and take a hit. And that's what he did. He stood there. He has to know, I've got to bail. I've got to get out the, 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 the pocket and I've got to throw this away if there's nothing open. You can't just sit there in the end zone and, and it's not even that it could be a safety. You could get a sack fumble and a touchdown in that situation. It's a turnover. You've got to get out of the pocket and throw it away if there's nothing there. And he didn't. He just sort of stood there, got hammered. And they called it a roughing the passer. Then they took that back because they were looking, I think, at targeting. I think they said it was an incomplete pass in the end, which was very, very lucky. But, you know, it, it, it's not good from Bryce Young. He's got to know in that situation what you've got to do. And when I watched that, I was thinking, this is a disaster. This has been a really poor performance from Young. This is going to have people talking in a negative way. And then it's as if the light, it's as if that, I don't know if Nick Saban took him to one side and said, get your head out of your ass or something. But from that point onwards, he, he just, he took off. You know, he executed a vital fourth and three when they were 16-10 down. He threw the ball over the middle with great poison accuracy this time. There was a ref in the way of the route that I think the tight end was running and he still managed to get it over the ref. Um, you need to get out of the way uh, to get that completion. He then completed another strong throw of the middle. Then he had a brilliant touchdown pass, which was just... It, it's, I mean, we're two weeks in. It's going to be one of my favourite touchdown passes of the season. He scrambles away. You know, he comes up towards the line of scrimmage to try and avoid pressure. Then he retreats backwards and bailed on the pocket. He runs backwards, which you never want to do. But he did it anyway. He's got three defenders who just break content and come towards him because they think he's running backwards here, he's in trouble. And somehow, even though he's running backwards, he stops, resets his feet, and then he's leaning back, he's off balance, but he resets his feet perfectly. So he's got a strong base, and he throws from that strong base an inch-perfect pass to his receiver in the end zone. Now, I can't tell you how hard that is to do. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable that he managed to reset his feet. You see players all the time get into that situation and throw it, falling backwards and they'll throw it up for grabs. Or even if they see the receiver, they just haven't got the balance and the base in that position to throw with accuracy and it goes anywhere. Many players would have thrown that out of bounds and just took the... For him to stop when he's going backwards, reset his feet and then have the forward momentum so that he could get his body and his core into that throw. And it was just, a, and he had to release it so quickly as well. It all had to happen like in a, in a split second, because if it didn't, if he didn't, off balance, set, cock throw. If, if he doesn't do that, then he's going to get hammered. He's, he's going to be a sack. It could be sack fumble in that situation. It was just such an amazing play from Bryce Young. It was, it was very, very impressive. Um, and then... Texas go down the other end, they get a field goal, they leave him just over a minute to go. He drives them into field goal range, he had some sideline throws, he had uh, some throws over the middle which were good. 
30 seconds to go, he pulled up Houdini out to avoid a sack. You know, they had him there for the sack. That would have been the game, probably. They did have a timeout left, so maybe not. But he would have been a big loss. He gets away from the sack. He scrambles for a huge gain. Sets up the game-winning field goal. The refs blew that call. I mean, there was a clear hold off the edge as he was scrambling out towards the right-hand side. But, you know, great creativity, great improvisation, playmaking, elusiveness from Young. And in the fourth quarter, he finishes 15 of 19, passing for 136 yards and a touchdown. You know, you have to credit him for pulling it out the back. You know, Texas should have won this game. Their defense played very well. They left points on the field, did Texas. Alabama were not good. Now, Will Anderson made some mistakes in, in terms of getting flags. He did not have his best game. Bryce Young had three quarters of mistakes and looked horrendous. And then in the fourth quarter, turned it on and showed that Heisman quality to, to pull out a win. And that's why Alabama at Alabama. When they get into tough spots like this, they often do come through and he's come through. Um, so a mixed bag for him. And the way that I would sum up Bryce Young's performances, the good was very, very good. The bad was pretty bad as well. And then finally, CJ Stroud, who I, I was critical of last week. So I thought he was erratic against Notre Dame. His intermediate accuracy was poor. I thought his processing was poor and I, I just thought it wasn't much of a game and I think Notre Dame have been exposed for what they are, which is not a very good team because they lost to Marshall this weekend and, and I didn't think that was a particularly impressive win for Ohio State. Now, admittedly, they were playing Arkansas State, so you have to put that into context, but I thought Stroud was fantastic in this game. You know, he threw four touchdowns, he completed 60 to 24 for 351 yards on the first score, you know, he's got an eternity in the pocket. And, and what he does is he just kept his, you could see it on the field. He held his sight down the middle to draw the attention of the safety. He then looks to the right-hand side when the outside receiver ran an in route. And because he's kept that safety in position by looking that way, he threw that inside slant and it's wide open. And this is the one thing about the Ohio State offense. offense it is well-designed and that's a very, it's a pretty easy Thing for Stroud to do. just hold the safety there and throw it to that guy. I mean, anybody could do that, you know, really. And once he got it to his receiver, he just ran onto that slant and there's nobody near him. The safety's way too deep. He comes across, he runs all the way and scores. So a very easy play. But then he turns it on. You know, there was a play in the shotgun, very quick play fake, sets his feet, throws from a perfect base, ideal technique, and just launched the sweetest looking downfield shot you'll see. Down the red line, 34 yards, it travels, but it, it, was, it just dropped perfectly into the hands of the receiver. He couldn't have given that ball to the receiver any better if he just walked up to him and handed him the football. I mean, it was absolutely sensational. Perfect accuracy, touch, velocity, great technique, great base, fantastic. Stroud's second touchdown, another wonderful show of physical prowess. Similar play fake, drops, sets his feet again, ideal throwing base again. He's on the halfway line, throws to the end zone. Just textbook, 50-yard downfield bomb. Hits his receiver in stride for a score. Techniques perfect. Wow, arm strength. Placement, again, brilliant. You just can't fold that. Third score, just a broken coverage. Not really much to say about that. Uh, but his final touchdown, again, very, very impressive. He dropped to the 37-yard line of Arkansas State. Has a bit of pressure emerging from the left but just throws an, a, a perfect dime to the front left corner of the end zone. There's tight coverage from the defender, the safety help as well, so he has to get this pass perfectly in position. 
perfect accuracy to, to make it happen for a touchdown, and he delivered. He absolutely delivered. Fantastic play. Made it look easy. And when you sort of see throws like this, this is why Stroud gets touted as the top quarterback in the class. This is why he's talked about as a potential number one overall pick. Because he has just got so much talent. And, you know, people have compared... Jim Nagy did it at the weekend. He compared Will Levis to Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. And, and to, to a certain extent, I compare Stroud. Not physically, because he's light. You know, he's about 215 pounds. And Levis and Allen and uh, Herbert are much bigger guys. You know, they're 232, 40 pounds. So he's not, his, his body type isn't the same. But that talent, that raw talent to make wow throws is very much there with CJ Stroud. You just want to see a bit more consistency in the tighter games. You know, it's one thing to be blowing everybody away with these amazing throws against Arkansas State, but it, it, it's a close game against a tougher opponent. Can he do it then? Can he be a bit more consistently brilliant in those games? That's what I want to see. You know, it's, like I say, I mean, you, you could say Arkansas State. You could also say in the Rose Bowl last year when uh, his opponent decided not to play any defense in Utah and he could just throw it wherever he wanted. You know, it's, it's okay to play in those games when you've got first-round picks at receiver, top 15 picks at receiver, and look great. You know, it, it's games like last week that you kind of just want to show, see a bit more of this that you showed against Arkansas State, against Notre Dame, be a bit more consistent with the intermediate stuff, have those big splash plays. But, you know, you have to say, in this game alone, he was absolutely tremendous, and his accuracy was fantastic on those, those deep throws, and they're like 10 out of 10 throws that are going to get NFL teams excited, so... Well done to him, and I think he, out of all of the quarterbacks, he was the most impressive this weekend. Um, one caveat, I suppose, is that unlike Tyler Van Dyke, Bryce or Will Levis, he did not face any pressure from the defense. There was no, no pass pro issues. Uh, he he had an easy day in the in the backfield that that none of the other quarterbacks had. So there we go. There are my thoughts on the quarterbacks this week. Um, some closing thoughts, I suppose. Anthony Richardson. Let's just let him develop at this point. I'm not going to keep talking about him. As an NFL prospect, I'll keep an eye on him to see if he can bounce back from this, of course. But I, I think maybe we're looking at four guys rather than five. You know, I think it is Levis, Stroud, Van Dyke, and Young are the four who we need to focus on the most in terms of the first round. Yes, we'll keep a, an eye out for the others as well who, who could emerge into that conversation. But I think that's the four right now with Richardson needing to show that that was a blip and not indicative of, of what he is which is, a, based on the evidence yesterday, was incredibly raw, undercooked quarterback who needs a bit more time to master his craft. Anyway, thank you for listening to this longer video, nearly half an hour. SeahawksDraftBlog.com, there is a write-up of all of these five players on there right now. So SeahawksDraftBlog.com for that. There's going to be a ton of draft content, a ton of Seahawks content with the season kicking off on Monday Night Football against... Russell Wilson's Denver Broncos. We'll have all of the reaction to that as well. Loads of articles coming up on Silk's Draft Blog as well. We'll have interviews on this channel throughout the season too. So you are not going to want to miss any of it. So what I would suggest is subscribe to the channel. To like the video, make sure you subscribe. And until next time, bye for now.